It's really a sacred space for people to gather and share their values and share their practices and share their wisdom. And it's marvelous. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss and we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we get to hear all about Missy's recent travel adventures. Then Missy and I talk about the tragic and infuriating news coming out of Nashville, Tennessee this week. And then later on the pod, we sat down with Phyllis Carut and Scott Stearman of the Parliament of World Religions as they talk about the 2023 Parliament that will be held in Chicago in August. It's going to be a good pod, so stay tuned. Hello there, Missy. Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm well. Just so good to be home. We have been on the road, it seems like, for the last three or four weeks. Not really, but <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Well, we've been traveling. It I does mean, seem been, like we've yeah, been in and out. We've been in a, a car. But I mean, that's just the way we live, so it's it good. It is. It's, it's been right. fun. And But there was something that happened on one of your treks yes. over the last few weeks that... I you, had a... a Quite a little traveling adventure, and for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, my apologies. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell the story, but there's some added details that you may not have have read. In oh boy, get ready from last week. So, I, because of family schedules, you flew out a day earlier than I did for a meeting we were attending, and I, our younger son who was home for spring break, as we mentioned mm-hmm. last week. He was flying out an hour earlier than me, so which meant a 3.30 a.m. wake-up call, leaving for the airport at, you know, 4 a.m., and then I sat there with him, and, you know, until his plane left, and then went to my gate. So all, all of this to say, I'd been in the airport for much longer than, than usual before a flight. And it finally was time to board my flight, and I get in the you know, the line when they call my group and I am behind an elderly couple and (laughs) the wife has just lathered herself in perfume. Oh boy. And I know how much you love the perfume. She clearly doesn't know the rules of of (laughs) social interaction these days. We don't do this, you guys. I, I am super, super sensitive to perfume and it turns out while most normal human beings, you know, their olfactory senses kind of start to die out as they get older. Mine are getting more sensitive. I'm having more reactions. In any case, I'm standing behind this woman and I am praying like I have not prayed in quite some time <laughs> that she is not going to be my neighbor on this flight uh-huh. because I really did not know if I could sit by her without having some major like breathing issues. Right. Anywho. We get on the plane. The Lord, the Lord answered your prayer. my prayers. Nice. So I am hashtag blessed. blessed. <laughs> so she sits down in her row. I go get in my row, and then I'm. I always choose the window seat because mm-hmm. I like to curl up and and you know kind of sleep against the the window. Is there one flight that you've never taken a power nap on? 
I always try. It very rarely works out for me. But anyways, no, I'm a window seat person. Um, and the minute I sat down and then my the gentleman who was sitting on the aisle sat down, I realized, I think because of the change in routine, sitting with our youngest son and talking about where is his flight and, and all of this, I had forgotten to make that pre that very important pre-flight pit stop in the restroom. <laughs> did you now? I and, did. And I'm guessing you had a big gulp on the way in uh, of to the airport. Yeah, no, okay. I had a big Starbucks coffee, uh, iced coffee. Anyways, so as I sit down, I'm like, oh, no, I kind of need to go to the bathroom. But, you know, <laughs> the flight was only was going to be under two hours. Yeah, short flight. I'm in the window seat. I don't like to inconvenience people, so I'm just going to sit there. Really? You know, I'm, well, I mean, most people. <laughs> so I am going to be fine. Well, then another gentleman comes in and takes up the middle seat. Oh. While he may not have bathed in perfume. Oh, that no. Morning, no, no. He was quite odorous. Oh, my goodness. I thought. There are just those moments in life when you know God has a sense of humor, right? Mm-hmm. This is totally oh, one of he those. Was, yeah, God, she, he, sh- it was they, like <laughs> they were up there just cackling. Oh, yes, yes. Snickering at me. Yeah, um, we answered your prayer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your perfume and show you one more. How about body odor? So in any case, so he sits down and I thought, okay, eventually I'll, I'll adjust. You know how your nose just yeah, sure. eventually... You become nose blind. I thought eventually that will happen. Eventually that will happen. Well, I started noticing um, passengers around in front and behind me were started po- popping um, Altoids mints, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was a blessing because <laughs> it kind of did mask that yeah. smell. But anyway, so we left the gate, start taxiing for a little bit, and then all of a sudden kind of make an abrupt stop. The pilot comes over the loudspeaker and says, hey, folks, I'm really sorry. We were just alerted. There's been a ground stoppage i think is what he called it at our arrival destination and we can't go anywhere for at least two hours Ooh, two hours yes. oh my goodness so we're sitting on the plane which remember i forgot my pit stop i was gonna say i bet you wish you'd have gone for that tall instead of the venti right now huh probably <laughs> and two i've got mr who i named malodorous middle seat because <laughs> we know yeah. I love alliteration. So that, so anyway, so Mr. Malodorous is sitting beside me. I am, it, he and the other gentleman on the aisle are, are fast asleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can wait. And then we get into like, you know, an the hour, hour and a half mark. And right. I thought, I, I just don't know. Well, middle seat, Mr. Malodorous, he, I noticed that he wakes up. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, now oh, my yeah. chance. Yeah, you got an opportunity. I tap him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I need to go to the restroom. So he's like, no problem. So he taps the aisle guy who's still snoozing, but at this point, I, I got to go. Yeah. And so aisle guy looks and you, you kind of make that, there's just a universal gesture sure, when you're on an airplane sure. of like, she needs out or yeah. whatever. So the aisle guy looks at me and simply like shifts his body and turns himself so that his legs are like sort of out of the aisle. He doesn't get up. He does not get up. Okay. He does not get up. <laughs> Jeez. So middle seat, Mallard's middle seat, right? Yeah. He doesn't have anywhere to swing his legs. No. <laughs> he looks at me and like shrugs like, I'm sorry. What I haven't mentioned yet in this story is that I was planning to land at our destination, we were going straight to a meeting. So right. I was dressed for, you know, 
like a work event, not sure. normal. Like you'd wear your yoga pants and sweatshirt or whatever. Yeah. So I've got on a dress and boots. <laughs> so you're trying to figure out how to navigate how this. How to navigate this, right? So I step over, straddle Mr. Middle seat, right? in my dress and boots. And you know, when you do that, you have to hold onto the seat in front of you oh, for sure. balance yeah. so that I'm not fought, like literally sitting in his lap. So I'm yeah. s- holding onto the seat in front of me, which, you know, disrupts the person in front of me, probably wondering what's going on. And then I grab hold of the aisle seat in front of me to make my second leap mm-hmm. over, you know. Okay. So it sounds, sounds like it's going okay. I mean, it's, it's going okay. Thankfully, I'm, I'm a very short person. I'm pretty nimble. Like I can, I can do this, right? Okay, yeah. So I'm holding on to the, now to the aisle seat, right? And I'm going to step over, you know, the part of of Mr. Too Tall's legs who (laughs) won't stand up. And I'm wearing a dress, which all the ladies out there will know exactly what I'm talking about, like a shirt dress. It buttons all the way down, right? Yeah. Very cute. When I step over aisle guy, Mm -hmm. my like buttons get stuck in the little latch that opens or that lets the uh, seat tray tables down. You know how that's like uh, oh, the little okay, latch? Yeah, and okay. now they make them to where they've got like a little hook for your purse. For a second there, I thought you were like facing him and your buttons bursted no, open. <laughs> no, <laughs> But okay, go, go ahead. So they're caught. You know what I mean? Like the yeah, hook, yeah. the hook, it holds sure, your sure. purse. Anyway, yeah. so my dress, imagine your shirt, you know, kind of how your shirt sometimes or right. whatever gets caught on the cabinet uh, knobs as mm-hmm. you're walking by. So my dress is now stuck. Um, on the hook for the seat tray no. table. I'm holding on to the aisle seat in front of me, trying to figure out what to do. If I let go of the aisle seat in front of me, I'm gonna I can't stand up straight. I'm literally going to fall into this guy's lap. Oh my goodness. So I'm trying to shimmy. <laughs> and we all know how this works. The more you try to shimmy and wiggle your way out of something, the worse it gets. Right? <laughs> this guy's like right there. He's right there. <laughs> So literally, I, he's getting your, a very bizarre lap dance in the airplane is what he's getting. Did, did you get tipped? I should have. No, you, I think you told me you did later by middle seat guy. Well, hang on. I'm not done with my story. You know, I make a 30 cent second story into a 30 minute oh, yeah, story, we, right? We all know right now. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Anyways, so I'm shimming and trying to get out of this and finally manage to free myself from the little latch mm-hmm. and go to the restroom. I come back, have to make the same, um, you know, journey over into my window seat to get, you know, climb over them and climb over. Because once again, he does not stand up. So that was a little um, less of a production. I got back to my seat, and we finally took off on our um, to get to our destination. And about midway through the flight, middle seat, Mr. Malodorous, remember him? Mm-hmm. He needs to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so he taps. But he's not climbing over you. No. So what do I care? He taps Mr. Malodorous, mm-hmm. or Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Too Tall, mm-hmm. and. Again, Mr. Tutal does not get up for him. Just he simply swings his legs. Like turns his legs. So this man <laughs> sitting in the middle has to straddle and climb oh over my Mr. What Isle Guy. It was crazy. So then that's not the end of the story. Oh, it's not. Oh, boy. No. So I, after that, I just said, I've, I've got to take a power nap. I had been up since 3.30 this morning. And so I curl up. I have like a blanket and a cardigan as girls 
do we travel with a pillow and a blanket and a cardigan, you know, in the plane. So I'm all snuggled in my corner. And I kind of, you know, I hear the flight attendants going up getting drink orders. I didn't need a drink at this point. So I'm just going to stay snooze, trying to snooze. And then all of a sudden I kind of feel something and I look down and Mr. Malodorous thought that I needed the cookies they were handing so you, out. So you did get tipped. <laughs> so he got me some cookies oh. and put them in my lap. Wow. And that was just very weird. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with those. I just... Oh my Anyways, gosh. it was You have the craziest travel stories. <laughs> I really do. It's it's kind of a running joke. People uh, in our wor- our world, our family, our friends are just like don't fly with because me because you flew back with me and we didn't have any of those issues. No, we didn't have any of those issues. It was totally fine. Uh, but it was it was a crazy story. So, uh for those of you who followed along on uh, on Facebook with me that day, it was just I just had to share this. It's like such a bizarre thing. But wow. anyways, so that's our funny story for the day. Yeah. But now we have to switch yeah. gears into something really crazy. Yeah. The news this week coming out of Nashville, Tennessee, was extremely heartbreaking. As a 28-year-old walked into Covenant Presbyterian Church, where the Covenant School Elementary School was located, and opened fire with... Uh, an AR-15 automatic or assault weapon and killed three children and three adults. And it's just, once again, heartbreaking, frustrating, and infuriating all at the same time. Yes. I I, I don't know what else to say. It's awful. We're going to keep having it. Lather, rinse, repeat. We're going to keep having this conversation. Uh, I wrote my article this week about this, about the idolatry of the Second Amendment worshipers, and that at some point, because I don't know if you, you saw, I'm sure our listeners saw, that Fox News was doing a live broadcast outside of the, the church uh, the day of the shooting, and a... A woman I don't walked. know. I'm guessing many of our listeners are not Fox. Well, <laughs> they probably doctors, heard the story because okay. everybody else I covered like, the I story. I haven't heard this, so you'll have to tell me. Yeah. And so um, what happened was they were live on the air, and a, a woman walked up and started to ask questions really loud so that the microphone could hear her. Mm-hmm. And she simply asked this, aren't you guys tired of covering this? Aren't you guys tired of being here and having to cover all of these mass shootings? It happened to be Ashley Beasley, who was a survivor, survivor of the 22 uh, mass shooting during the 4th of July parade in Chicago. Uh, last year, and she just happened to be in Nashville oh at the gosh, time, so she traumatic. rushed over there. And uh, so, she, I mean, but her question is legit: Are you not tired of this? And here's the answer for America: They aren't. They aren't tired of it. If they were tired of it, they would do something about it, and they continue not to act. And when I say they, I'm talking about the United States Congress. They have the power to enact sensible gun legislation. And they refuse to do it. And it is infuriating. And in my opinion, immoral and evil. We have little kids being, their bodies blown away by an AR-15. In fact, the Washington Post this week showed what would happen to a body if a bullet from an AR-15 went inside of it. Because everybody is at a loss. We don't know what's going to move the needle because obviously you would think in this country if children were killed, 
routinely that we would actually do something. But there's a group of legislators that are beholden to the NRA that believe in this false application of the Second Amendment. Because the Second Amendment is very clear that it needs to be under a well-regulated militia. It does say that people have the right to own firearms. Nobody's trying to take your damn guns. But what we are doing is saying there is sensible gun legislation that can be passed because that is Congress's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And they refuse to do it. And then I'm also, Missy, I'm also tired of Christians, right-wing fundamentalist Christians, talking about Luke 22, when Jesus tells the disciples to go sell their cloak and get a sword because the tension was building. And his arrest was imminent, and plots to kill him were rumored to be about. And in Luke 22, it's very clear that he says, go sell your cloak and make certain we have a sword. And in the text, the disciples tell him, we have two swords. And he said, that'd be enough. So Jesus is contemplating violence. And for all those who say, oh, he knew what he was doing. He never planned to do it. No, he was contemplating it because his life was on the line. Mm -hmm. But then mere minutes later, when the soldiers show up to arrest him, Judas kisses him on the cheek. Peter pulls out one of those swords and he strike, he's trying to strike the chief priest, but ends up hitting a slave of the chief priest and cuts off his ear. And Jesus realized he had made a mistake and simply says, put your sword away for those who live by the sword, die by the sword. And Jesus knew the importance of regulating weaponry. It is theologically, morally, and needs to be legislatively instilled in this country that we need to regulate weaponry because we by far own more guns and weapons than anybody in the rest of the world. And because of that, our mass shootings, our murder rates are through the roof. We are addicted to violence. I agree. But people are tired of it. And mm -hmm. there is a silent majority in this country that are fed up. And it is time to go to the streets. It is time to vote these idiots out who refuse to do anything and use rhetoric to fundraise after a situation like this. It is appalling and evil and things have to change. So I go back to Beasley's question. Are we tired of it? Some of us are, but not enough to the point of doing something about it. It's time to do something about it. I agree. Well, Missy, you and I earlier this week had the privilege of sitting down with two representatives from the Parliament of World Religions that's going to be hosted in Chicago this year during the month of August. Phyllis Karut and Scott Stearman are with us, and we had a delightful conversation. We did. I will admit, when you you know, first think of, oh, we're going to talk to some folks about the Parliament of World Religions, that doesn't like sound super, I don't know. I just was so 
excited and energized by the interview. I enjoyed hearing from them. And for our listeners who are about to be kind of a little bit taken aback when Mitch reads the intro and in- introduces Phyllis as a uh, Wiccan priestess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're immediately wondering, oh my goodness, tell me more because we've all heard of this, but probably don't know. I do ask her that question at the end to tell us a little bit about great the Wiccan faith. And she did a phenomenal job. I'm so intrigued uh, by this and, and, and by her and by the parliament meeting. I'm very excited that we're going and uh, I look forward to kind of talking a little more about it um, at the end. So stay tuned. Hey, Good Faith Weekly listeners, we've got an incredible opportunity coming up April 25th through 26th of this year. The Birmingham Montgomery Civil Rights Good Faith Experience is right around the corner. Join Starlet Thomas, Bruce Gorley, Missy Randall, and myself as we retrace the steps of those who made history and nurture a faith that moves us all forward. For more information, go to goodfaithmedia.org and click on Experiences. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got two very special guests with us. Phyllis Curat is the program chair of the 2023 Parliament of World Religions convening. Curat is one of America's first public Wiccan priestess, an attorney and author whose groundbreaking books, published in 14 countries, made Wicca accessible to the world and awakened an entire generation to the goddess. Named one of the 10 gutsiest women of the year by Jane Magazine, she was inducted into the Martin Luther King Jr. Collegium of Clergy and Scholars. Scott Stearman is the vice chair of the parliament's board. He has served as a pastor in the Christian Baptist tradition. His experience includes congregations in Athens, Greece, and in Paris, France. Most recently, he has been pastor in New York City, where he represents the Baptist global body at the United Nation. Phyllis Scott, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Pleasure to be here. Thanks, Missy. Good to be here. We are both glad that you are here. We are really looking forward to the Parliament this summer in August. We are attending. We've already got our tickets and our spots. So we're really excited to be joining you uh, in Chicago this August. Absolutely. So Phyllis, I know for years Mitch has been involved with Parliament of World Religions and has attended some events. I have not. Um, I've just always heard through him. So why don't we start with you for those like me in our audience who might not be super familiar with Parliament. Tell us about its history and its purpose. Right. Um, Well, the first thing I have to say is don't come if you're not prepared to get addicted. Because once you come. (laughs) True. Very true. Right. I love a good addiction, so that's good. It's a good, healthy addiction, like the best you could possibly have. So the parliament um, was convened for the first time in 1893 in Chicago as part of the exposition. And there were thousands of people who attended. Uh, There were actually 17 women who took the stage. And uh, probably most notable of all, it really was the first major, I think, significant public convening where... uh, members of various faith traditions came together and spoke to one another and spoke to the world. And that was remarkable. This was a period when, you know, Catholics didn't talk to Protestants and nobody talked to the Jews and forget the Muslims. And, (laughs) um, and all the more remarkable uh, Eastern faiths were present and it was sort of their arrival uh, in the United States. So, uh, it's quite noted for the presence and the participation, the speech that was given by Swami Vivekananda, who began by greeting uh, brothers and sisters and was met immediately with a standing ovation, which tells you a lot about 
um, the wisdom and open-heartedness of that crowd. A hundred years later, the Vivekananda Society in Chicago said, what are we doing to honor the hundredth anniversary? How about we reconvene? And so in 1993, 100 years later, there was a parliament in Chicago. I was there, not in 1893, but in 1993. Mm -hmm. It was at the Palmer House uh, Hotel. And there were 10,000 people (laughs) in that hotel, which was remarkable. Uh, And the Dalai Lama was there. From the very beginning, we have had the most notable religious leaders, faith leaders, spiritual leaders from all the world's faith traditions from all over the world and practitioners from all over the world, as well as leading politicians and figures of note in areas of social justice, um, which reflect the interests and the devotion of the parliament as it has grown um, in its new incarnation, in its new form. And so we have continued to meet all over the world in 1999 in South Africa, uh, in 2004 in Barcelona, Spain, 2009 in Melbourne, which was marvelous, and uh, 2015 in Utah, in Salt Lake City, and 2018 in Toronto, and now for, I guess it's our 30th, Mm -hmm. uh, 21st slash 21st (laughs) century uh, anniversary, we'll be meeting in Chicago. And we're expecting over 10,000 people. And, And we're addressing a very important theme, which I'm sure you'll be interested in. Yeah, we're going to ask about that. We need to be the cliffhanger. Before before you get your next question, I wanted to say, um, as you listed some of the faith traditions and religions that will be represented, real quick for our listeners who just aren't familiar with the breadth of this gathering and who all it includes, will you run down kind of a list of of, uh, religions or faith traditions that might be represented there that our people might not be aware that that convene together? Yeah, at... I think at last count, we had 168 faith traditions from around the world. Wow. So, of course, and to simply say Christian doesn't even begin to do it justice. And Mm -hmm. I think Scott could speak to that better than I. But we, there are um, all sorts of denominations of Christianity, certainly the Catholic community, the Presbyterian, the Methodist, Baptists. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out, but. And uh, the, the Jewish tradition uh, and and many uh, representatives also diverse within Judaism um, and uh, Islam, uh, Buddhism, various traditions of Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, indigenous traditions uh, of, of which uh, I am a part, Wicca is a contemporary revival of the of European indigenous traditions. Uh, and I know I'm leaving people out and I apologize, uh, but it's of those major faith groups that we often think of within that are so many denominations and people come and it is a safe, it's really a sacred space mm-hmm. for people to gather and um, share their values and share their practices and share their wisdom. Um, and it's marvelous. It's just so uplifting 
it's it's deep it is a truly a fellowship of humanity uh, it is uplifting it's educational and when i attended uh, the toronto parliament i learned so much about face that i had heard of on the peripheral but did not know their background and their history and so attending some of those breakout sessions was extremely educational for me and i just enjoyed it thoroughly so uh it it, it is it is an event and a, a conference that you i guarantee have never been to before if you've never been to the parliament it is as they have said it is very addictive it is a good addiction <laughs> so uh, so scott let's turn to you um your experience in helping lead ngo committees related to human rights and the freedom of religion and belief can you share some of the most pressing issues of today and the ways in which the parliament specifically is the place to be uh, able to address those sure yeah thanks for that question um I don't think you have to be hanging around the UN to know that the world is in a mess. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, it, all of us watch the news and we are aghast at uh, really not simply at the state of the world, but the trajectory of the world that we feel like things not only are kind of bad, but they're all going in the wrong direction. And clearly the Ukraine gets a big, big in a lot of focus as it should Climate change is another thing that uh, we're all frightened about and should and increasingly every day it feels like we should be more frightened about. The United States, the rise of violence that we saw in Nashville the other day, that kind of thing. Uh, the list is long about our ills and, uh, and just with what's happening in Myanmar and China and uh, some other places I could mention with the rise of autocracy, it, it, there's a sense that... Um, well, again, the, the road that we're traveling is the wrong one, and we need to turn around. I don't think any of us are under the illusions that um, the world religions can by themselves fix this, but I think there is a strong sense among all of us on the board of the parliament that uh, our traditional religions are certainly a key part of making that U-turn and working with governments, uh, multilateral spaces, um, and with other citizens who may be in no tradition whatsoever to, to recognize the problem and to understand that the core of the solution is a sense of compassion for those who are other than you, mm. right? And, and that's where religion has, of course, been very guilty uh, writ large. A lot of religious traditions, we, well, you could probably, every major religious tradition has has a pretty ugly history as part of its history, right? Where we've otherized and demonized uh, people who are different than us. And that is what is so But on the other side, oh, go, I'm sorry. Religion at its best has done the opposite, brought us yeah. together. Yeah. So. And that's what is beautiful about the parliament is that it is this global community coming together uh, out of their differences, but in solidarity for peace and justice and living together in harmony. It is just a beautiful exactly. expression of the human spirit and our symbiotic relationship, not only with one another, but within nature itself. So, you know, Phyllis, you know, I think Scott's right that religions and religious leaders um, are not the sole uh, are not the sole catalyst to fix all of these issues that we're facing as a human society and global society. But how important is it that these religious leaders come together to form a moral compass so that nation states can 
take that as an inspiration to enact real tangible policies that are going to address some of these more severe global issues? Well, you just, I think you answered your own question. Um, (laughs) Moral compass is a term that um, is first and foremost in my mind these days and where we find it, right? Um, And how each of our faith traditions has its own. And at the heart of it, as Scott was saying, is a, is a sense of responsibility to to each other that comes out of um, the imperative towards compassion, our innate capacity for compassion. Um, and just as a compass points in, right, at least four directions and then in between, you know, all the points in between, so too are we, in a way, right? Each of our faiths, you know, one faith, points north and another east and another, to use that your metaphor. So we each have a, sort of a unique path, but we're all connected. We're all walking in the same sacred ground, the same sacred goals of compassion and generosity of spirits. So when we come together, we're, we're respecting those differences. We're appreciating the breadth that it it provides to us that it expands our point of view doesn't have to be our point of view, but it expands, it expands our sense of the sacred Mm -hmm. and our place in the world. And when we're together, um, we're able to say we each have unique viewpoints, but we all share this common commitment to treating one another with respect to treating one another with compassion to honoring our differences and sensing that they make us stronger and better and wiser. And if we can come together in a peaceful way, right, then certainly the politicians can learn how to do it. <laughs> that's going too far. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on, Phyllis. We, we, we believe in miracles around here, but come on, that's just way too far. <laughs> but, but if we, I mean, I don't know. I just I don't think that's true. If we can do it, anybody can do it. Okay. All right. So, Phyllis. You're people of faith. Yeah, that's you, absolutely. You teased a moment ago about the theme of this year's uh, convening. So, tell us what is the theme? Why is it such a critical call to action? And what are you most looking forward to at the conference? Well, uh, the theme is a call to conscience, defending freedom and human rights, to which for those of us who live in democracies, we could add defending freedom, democracy, and human rights, and certainly we'll be addressing that. Um, As Scott mentioned a few minutes ago, there is an international Global, there's a global crisis of rising autocracies uh, and the relationships that they're building, uh, the autocrats, the strongmen, the bullies are building between each other of mutual support. And it's spreading around the globe and it's provoking violence and hatred and uh, intolerance and misogyny and racism and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia it is evoking the worst of our nature. And of course, as crises like the environment uh, add pressure to our cultures, our civilizations, our souls and our psyches, uh, it, it becomes fertile ground. Um, fear is fertile ground for fascists. And if we don't step forward as spiritual uh, practitioners, as uh, religious believers of as people of faith who have deep and strong and abiding moral compasses 
to offer an answer, to offer inspiration, to offer an alternative, right? Um, we face a crisis that then prevents us from dealing with all the other problems like the environment, et cetera, that, that demand our attention. So this is sort of um, prima inter pares. It's first among <laughs> equal crises. Yeah. Uh, this is what needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed now. And so we are, it, it, this could be the most historic and most important uh, parliament uh, in its history where we are calling um, the leaders of the world's faiths and the practitioners of the world's faith to come together to, to, to address this problem, to unite collectively in saying, this is not who we are and this is not who we will be. Uh, and uh, we stand for freedom, we stand for democracy, we stand for human rights. And these are the actions that our communities, our faith communities are taking. Uh, this is how we are engaged with uh, political organizations, with politicians, right, who need to be motivated and stirred. I mean, there was the most moving prayer offered by the Senate chaplain. Oh, Barry Black, man, he uh, nailed it this week. Right, and, and all of a sudden, his voice was everywhere, right? But, and that is the role that we can serve as uh, religious leaders and religious practitioners. Um, we can be heard because we're holding that moral compass. And so we've called them together. And I think that our, our mutual presence, our support of one another, our respect for one another, and our, and our, our, um, our unity on this issue, I'm hoping we'll have that kind of visibility and moral impact and will awaken people because a lot of people are asleep. I love that. We need to be awakened. So thank you so much for that. So Scott, I added you all ago. I apologize. Not only are you a Christian, but you're one of those Baptists. <laughs> but, one of those. Yeah, you're one of those. Uh, and our audience is primarily from the Christian tradition and primarily, most likely, from the Baptist tradition as well, if not closely associated uh, with that tradition. So my question is, how important, because a lot of times when we get involved and engaged in interfaith work, we see a lot of willingness, especially by minority religions or religions on the fringes here in the West, looking and seeking for dialogue and relationship. And there are a lot of Christians like yourself and us at Good Faith Media who are not only open to that, but see the necessity of it. But there are some within our tradition who are skeptical of meetings like this. So my question is, try, I mean, not try, but convince or make an argument why it's important for Christians to show up at the Parliament of World Religion and what you personally have found enriching about these meetings. Two-part question. The, the first I can do easily. I think uh, the second would take a long time because it has been such an enriching experience for me to be a part of the Parliament. But let me tell you a story quickly. So in 21, for obvious reasons, the Parliament uh could not meet physically and so we had a virtual convening and uh phil you remember the numbers i think we had uh 45 5000 people online something like that it was a it was really at a, at, it was came at a time when all of us were tired of being online at that point but it was really a moving uh convening um and and uh, like this time uh, phyllis helped lead, lead the program part and uh i was on the committee and she was absolutely insistent that we get the great William Barber. 
who is, uh, you know, as many people uh, who are listening will know, is, is a great Christian, black, African-American preacher who is one of the great preachers of our era who holds fast to his Christian convictions uh, on a number of levels. And uh, I've just used this example as many times. So an indigenous religious leader, a Wiccan uh, leader, once William Barber as a convening. And I just think that's a great story that many people in our audience would, would find, uh, well, maybe surprising, right? Yeah. If with the prejudices we all bring for each other. Um, and and that's an example of what the parliament stands for. We, we don't really, or, and in practice, what we do, we don't come together to argue theology or to try to convert one another or to try to uh, figure out who really has the right vision of God. We come together because we know our faith traditions, whatever we say about the divine, also has a strong ethical uh, moral compass that Phyllis was just talking about. And it's it's therein that we find uh, places of deep overlapping callings, right, or conscience, if you will. And so we come together to to learn about that and how we're meeting the needs of our communities and meeting the needs of the world and knowing that we would be much better off doing it together than apart. So that's that uh, speaks, I guess, as succinctly as I can to the motivation why people should be a part of this. Um, you don't have to believe what anybody else believes who may be there at the parliament about the divine or about theology, but you just have to have an open heart yeah. for other human beings who are on the same planet with all of us. But, yeah. I remember but it's been enriching. Yeah. I, 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 we probably don't have time. And you know, <laughs> I, I, my first friend was Salt Lake and, and, and I just, yeah. it was most extraordinary experience just meeting all of these diverse human beings and getting a sense of their background and their convictions and the way they make their world a much better place. Yeah. I remember uh, on the 10 year anniversary of nine 11, we did a local, um, service uh, here in Norman, Oklahoma, uh, to commemorate that uh, that fateful day, and we brought Muslims and Jews together to talk about that, and I was on a panel, and one of my good friends, Imad and Chauncey, who's the imam here in uh, Oklahoma City, was on that panel, and so we were talking, and I made the statement after a question that things changed for me. My theology changed, my life approach changed when I stopped seeing Imad as a competitor but as a brother. And I mean that with all of my heart. And it was interesting to me afterwards, I caught some flack for that statement (laughs) and that statement alone. But I think that's the attitude that all of us bring to the parliament is that we do not see each other as in competition with one another, as you so eloquently stated. Uh, But part of this the symbiotic humanity that, that we exist in and see each other's relational. So uh, very well said. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. So Phyllis, the next question is basically the same um, thing that Mitch asked Scott, but before you kind of give your take on that, I was wondering, I imagine that most of our listeners out there are not familiar with the Wiccan tradition as I am not either and would probably love to hear a little bit about it. First of all, I'm deeply grateful for the question. And this is precisely what we do at the parliament. You know, tell me about the 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 faith that gives your life its its great deep meaning. Uh, so it was certainly not uh 
a tradition that I expected to find meaningful for me when I was a young lawyer in New York, a social justice lawyer. But uh, circumstances led me into this remarkable community, once hidden and now quite public. It, it's become the fastest growing spirituality in the United States now, uh, particularly because of young women. Um, it offered them a, a home. Uh, which was unique and uh, recognized that they uh, were bearers of, of a great spiritual wisdom that had sort of gone unseen for centuries. Um, but it's very much a modern uh, rediscovery revival of the indigenous traditions of our European, mostly European ancestors. So it's quite similar in many ways in its uh, practices, in fact, uh, its spiritual practices and the understandings, the spiritual lessons that are offered through those practices. Um, very similar to those of other indigenous peoples who live close to the earth uh, and for whom the natural world is an embodiment of spirit. So um, at the heart, I would say the core value uh, at the heart of the spirituality is the experience of life, of creation, um, as an embodiment of the divine, that spirit and world are one continuous whole. Uh, and that our, our work here is to live in harmony with the natural world. And by doing that, we uh, live in harmony with the divine, that, that nature, in fact, is a spiritual teacher. Um, in very profound ways that in the West we've largely forgotten. Um, and it's a, a faith that's very respectful of the faiths of others, yeah. um, that sort of sees uh, the wisdom uh, that's offered to us by our, our respective cultures and places, and um, that we are all made stronger by weaving the, by respecting them and weaving them together in a sense. So uh, that's it in a nutshell. So but, let but, me interject here because I have I have more questions. <laughs> so do you have any sort of sacred text that you look to? Do you are are you? Does it have like a meeting space like we would have a church or a synagogue? Or where where do you find community and and how do you meet with other fellow sojourners? Great question. So there are texts. Uh, uh, old texts, many of them, but I would say it is like most indigenous traditions. It tends to be more of an oral tradition, and many of the texts were lost and destroyed over time, and with repression and violence, uh, regrettably. Um, but as uh, an Australian Aboriginal elder said to me, you know, we don't have books; they're made of paper. You leave them in the rain and they'll disappear, but we have the rain, and we have the earth, and we have the trees, and we have oh, the wind. Oh, I just got we... chills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have the, I would, you could say, the word of God, um, the vocabulary is life itself, mm -hmm. and the teachings are embedded in creation and made visible through the natural world. And so that's uh, where we go. 
um, to be in the presence of the sacred and to learn that nature truly is a spiritual teacher. It's very similar to Taoism in many ways in that respect. Um, and the practices are the means by which I always said that we take the blindfold off and are able to see the sacred that's embodied by each of us and, and by the world that we're living in um, and to discover how, how magnificently our lives and creation are intertwined in a mutually supportive way. In fact, there's a moral compass at the heart of creation that's been discovered by, by and confirmed by biologists. That is the moral compass, I think, at the heart of most indigenous faiths. It turns out that all living beings, whether you're a mushroom or a woolly mammoth or, you know, the, the microbes in my stomach or me, <laughs> that we are all living with a kind of divine blueprint that enables us to live in ways that make us healthy and happy. And it turns out when we're doing that, we're contributing to making the world a better place for all life. That's an organic principle at the heart of creation. And if you think about it, it's a profoundly moral thing. It says you, you're meant to live well, to be healthy and to be happy. And the way in which you know that you're doing it correctly is that the effect of how you take care of yourself makes the world a better place for all life, not just humans, but all life. Yes. So then, right, we can ask ourselves this essential question, you know, are my actions, the choice of how I, how I uh, choose my clothing or heat my home or use energy, have transportation, grow food, eat food, have a, have a, an economic system, are those things making me healthy and happy? And am I contributing through the choices that I make in the food I eat, the clothes I wear, the car I drive, the, right? Mm -hmm. Are those choices making the world a better place? Yeah. I love the way you capture it, defining it as indigenous religions, because uh, I'm indigenous of North America from the Muscogee Creek uh, Nation. And Disregard the way you described this, this connection with nature or connection with the divine through nature, through life and existing, reminded me very much of my ancestors and the beliefs that they held closely. And I was just thinking as you were talking, you know, golly, that's kind of really the purpose of all world religions, no matter what your tradition is, no matter what system that you practice your religion in. It is about, it boils down to connecting oneself to the divine and connecting oneself to other human beings and how you relate to other human beings. You know, in our tradition, you know, Jesus uh, certainly quoted uh, the Old Testament when he said, love God, love neighbor. You know, that's pretty much it. <laughs> so. Phil's giving us such a, she's yeah. so articulate, I'm very envious of her many times as she talks. because she's, But, but... I'm thinking about our own tradition and to remind our listeners that, you know, for centuries, Christian theologians talk about the book of Scripture mm -hmm. and the book of nature, mm -hmm. and that God revealed God's self in the book of nature as much as Scripture, at least some theologians would argue. So I just, that's not, this is very much, you know, a, a, an overlapping right. perspective, as you were just 
seeing yourself. Yeah. And to take another rabbit hole, nature is trying to talk to us right now. And they're not really <laughs> listening. <laughs> that's a whole other yeah, pod. That is a whole other pod. That's <laughs> right. Very good point. Well, Scott, Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us on Good Faith Weekly. But before we go, Missy's got one more question for each of you. Okay, Phyllis, we'll start with you. As you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of your work and our conversation today, what is your more to tell? Well, I, I think I took up more than my fair share of time. So I'll just say <laughs> the more to tell is to come to the Parliament of the World's Religions. You will be so profoundly uplifted. Your faith convictions will be reinforced um, and uh, your heart will be opened uh, and the confidence that you'll receive in our uh, capacity to love one another uh, and to create together with the help of divine inspiration, a good world for all of us, you'll leave feeling deeply inspired. Um, And so you should come and we need you. We need you. We really need you to come. Well, these two will be here. I'm very excited. I'm super excited. So, okay, Scott, how about you? What's your more to tell? I'm sure I'm going to regret putting this out there into the world, but but I, I would, uh, I'm going to say this. I don't know if I could actually financially back it up. But if you come to the parliament, I would pay registration if you walk out and say that was just a waste of money. Mm. I'm so wow. convinced. I'm so convinced <laughs> that anybody who comes uh, with an open heart mind is going to absolutely uh, be blown away by by the pro- the depth, the uh, and the substance of the programming, and the inspiration of the plenaries. And and then just the walking down the hall and meeting uh, a Hindu monk or a Buddhist monk and just learning tradition, et cetera. So so yes. And also All right, come I'll probably get back that up. But anyway, I, I guarantee it. You'll get to hang it, out with me. I mean, <laughs> that's right. You get to hang out with a bunch of cool people. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. There's, there's, there's more to tell, and you should invite us back so we can tell you all about the programming. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. The closer we get back, yeah, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get there. We'll so, thank uh, you so much. Now, before we go, though, tell our listeners where they can learn yes, more about yes. the meeting. Parliament of the World's Religions. I think it's actually Parliament of Religions. Uh, dot org or dot org, com. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Easy and, to Google. I was going to say, I bet Google would have the answer to that. Google will have the answer. (laughs) Well, Scott, Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a delight. And we will have you back right before the parliament uh, uh, begins in August. And uh, for our listeners, make certain that you log on to the Parliament of World Religions website and register today. Do not wait. Register today. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Sooner the better. Thank you. Thanks. Missy, I just really enjoyed our conversation with uh, with Scott and Phyllis. Learned a lot. Yes. Always enjoy spending time with Scott. He's phenomenal. He's a friend of ours and um, always excited to talk to him. Getting to meet Phyllis and learning about the Wiccan um, faith. Yeah, the Wiccan was, religion. Yeah, it was just, I don't know, so life-giving for me. And that's really what is great about the parliament is that the, everybody goes to the parliament. And I went in Toronto um, several years ago and everybody comes there with the pre conceived, not preconceived, but with the 
Do we need a thesaurus real quick? Yeah, I do. Flipping those pages. I am. <laughs> you can see it. <laughs> the more I talk, the worse it gets. <laughs> yeah, it does. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Everybody comes with the same uh, purview that they're coming there to learn and to relate to one another. There's no competition. There's no attempt to try to convert yeah. each other to one another's religion. It is truly an educational and relational experience. And also to discover commonalities and common ground that we can work together to make the globe a more peaceful and just society for all people. And it's just, it's a beautiful example of what I think the Bible teaches, what Jesus stood for uh, in my Christian tradition. But it's also great to hear other religions saying kind of the same thing. Right. I think one of the things that is interesting for me as I am, you know, in, I mean, doing what everybody does, maybe at my age or everybody's doing these days of, of deconstructing um, the ideas and thoughts that you grew up with. And, you know, if, if you had told a 13 to 22 year old me that I would be excited about attending a conference like this, I would feel like you can't do that because well, you if, would have ordered your tracks already. I would have, right. <laughs> I mean, I would have had my Jesus saves t-shirts That's right. on, on ready. Your Roman right? roads ready to go. Absolutely. So I, because the goal I felt like in our denomination was always to convert, convert, convert. Yeah. That was your end goal. Um, to convince somebody that you had the right way and that they needed to, it, they needed to convert to your way of thinking. And so that was kind of the pressure, the overarching pressure. And one of the things that's been um, kind of lovely about this period, this season of life, is being able to really look forward to this experience of learning and, and growing. And it's, it's just like a whole new world being opened for me to... Um, like we talked about in the interview, this is such a no-brainer type of event to have to bring faiths together to say we're about, you know, taking care of our earth, taking care of the people who inhabit it, and, and doing what we can collectively for the common good. And that's so beautiful. You have a beautiful bouquet of flowers, a beautiful bouquet of faiths that all come together and, and make something wonderful. And I am super excited to attend. I um, am loving learning about different faiths and their practices. I was very interested to hear from Phyllis that the, the Wiccan uh, religion is born out of indigenous roots. Yeah, I love that part of it. You knew I was going to geek I out knew on you that. Were gonna, I knew you were going <laughs> to like chime in on that, but I just thought, oh, that's not what I heard about it when I was in middle school and first heard the term for the first time. I mean, you can imagine what I heard about it, and it was not at all what she described. Um, so I am very intrigued and, and very excited for the event. I hope that our listeners yeah, have gleaned something from this this interview and this time and maybe might might uh, have a hankering to join us in Chicago. Yeah, we'd love to have everybody join us. I think that'd be great. So check out uh, Parliament World of Religions. You can Google it, find out more about it, and when uh, and, and click on registration because it, it really is a cool, cool event that you're not going to miss. And remember Scott's offer. Like if you, oh, yeah, if right. you show up and then say this was worthless, he'll pay for your... That's what he said. That's what he said. Yeah. I heard it. <laughs> I'll make the promise that if you show up and you mention the code, 
I don't know, I showed up. I'll buy you a drink. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Love it. So, we'll go with that. Uh, All right. Well, we hope everybody has a good week. Absolutely. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org. <laughs>